morning, Cross Point. Good morning, kids. You can be released for Children's Church. And then if you will, for everyone else, if you will turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 24. That's where we're going to be this morning, Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. And and before I jump in, I just want to say thank you to, to all our volunteers who serve in so many different ways, ways that, that are seen, ways that are unseen. I, I want to thank for everyone who has stepped up. Like you've heard Eleanor mention about needs in our uh, children's ministry for teachers, for helpers, and we've had people step up and get connected there. You've heard uh, Jose talking about needs for production after uh, Aaron and, and his wife uh, moved up north. He stepped in to kind of carry this all on his own and and people have rallied to come around. JD's back there helping. <laughs> yes, I named you. I was a little nervous with him having control of my mic. But, but I'm so grateful for, for people stepping up and, and serving in ways and, and getting connected there um, in so many ways. And, and I realize that serving in the church, it's not always easy. Right? Like, here's the reality. It costs you time and energy, right? Like you have to wake up on your day off when you could sleep in and wake up early to, to move benches, pool, cable, set up classrooms. It can cost emotional space. The, the, the fact that we are imperfect people, then joining on a team together with imperfect people to serve imperfect people like that can get messy sometimes. It, it causes emotional space and, and it can be tempting to think, oh, you know what? Like I don't need that on my weekend, on my day off. It can be a struggle. And then we wonder, does anybody even notice how much I do? Like everything that I do, what, what would they notice? Like I bet if I wasn't here, then they would notice. No one has said thank you recently. Now at this point, some of you are probably thinking, Maybe leave the volunteer push to somebody else. Like, that's a, a terrible way to encourage other people to, to volunteer. But then there, there's probably others who are like, mm, but he's not wrong, right? There's a reality to that. So how should we view and with me as we pray to prepare our hearts? And then I'll be reading this together. Lord, I thank you for this time this morning, together as a church family, Lord, to, to hear your word, to sing and worship together, to hear the voices of others together, Lord, is, is an encouragement. Lord, to sit under the authority of your word is, a, is an encouragement, and so I pray that as we read, as we worship through your word and through song, that that you would be glorified. Lord, that you would allow us to be present in this moment to hear from you, to have our hearts and minds stirred and, and moved toward you in worship. And in Jesus' name, amen. So beginning in verse 24 of chapter 1, if you have the scripture journal, it's the top of page 8. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. 
I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. For I want you to know how greatly I'm struggling for you, for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me in person. I want, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is God's Word. You may be seated. What is ministry? We see it here in the beginning in verse 24 that when we serve, when we serve others, it is an expression of God's grace. That's what ministry is. It is an expression of God's grace. And I want us to see this here in verse 24, because where it begins, now I rejoice in my sufferings. My sufferings. Paul doesn't sugarcoat this. He isn't hiding from this. He was like, look, you haven't met me, but I have suffered for you. He suffered beatings. He suffered arrest. He, he suffered in prison for the sake of the gospel being proclaimed among the nations. That there is suffering. That is a normal part of doing ministry. Now, I realize, because I'm going to connect this to what this means here. Our sufferings are not the same as Paul. We don't put our life at risk when we gather here this morning. But there are things that people do here when they gather on a Sunday morning that is costly. That many of you have sacrificed finances late nights prepping for, for children's ministry, services, songs. You opened your home. You, you wake up early. I've seen people coming in from setting up the signs, dripping with sweat. They would bring a change of clothes when it's humid outside from doing signs. It costs something. And Paul doesn't hide away. He goes, oh, don't worry about it. He goes, no, look, I've suffered. This happened. But I rejoice See, the reason why he doesn't minimize the suffering is because there's something that's greater than the suffering. He's like, there's something that consumed the suffering. There's something that was larger, greater than the suffering. And in this, I rejoice. So what was it that Paul saw that led him to rejoice in the midst of what it was to serve others? And this is where he says this very difficult verse. It's one of the most difficult verses in Scripture. He says, I am completing in my flesh, meaning I am completing in my body what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the church. What in the world does that mean? 
Because this is what it sounds like. It sounds like even though, even though the Apostle Paul has told us, look, God was outside of time. It, it, was, it, it was through him. It was by him. It was through him. It was for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. We talked about this last week. This God whom he's proclaimed, who is all-sufficient, now Paul is saying, I've completed in my physical body as merely a man what was lacking, that something was lacking in Christ, something was lacking in his afflictions for the church that now this mere man, the apostle Paul, is able to complete. That kind of sounds like heresy. So what do you do with a difficult passage? I want to kind of give you, this is a side note to file away. Because if you're reading your Bible, you're going to come across passages and you're going to be like, what does that mean? Right? Like e- even other authors of the Bible are like, yeah, sometimes Paul is hard to understand. The best thing to do is when you come across a passage that you don't understand is look for the way that that same phrase is used within that same letter. If there's nothing there, like in this case that phrase is not used anywhere else in Colossians. And you're like, well, what about the other letters that Paul wrote? Does he use this phrase there? Because let's take a time when it's easier to understand and apply that understanding to this more difficult one. And then if, if you can't find that, then you look to all of scripture and you look for that phrase. How does scripture interpret scripture? Not just reading in our own understanding. And so that's what I want us to do here because there is another time the apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Philippi in the book of Philippians uses this exact same phrase. And I want to apply the understanding from that to this. And so you may see the, the, the verse up there on the screen from Philippians two twenty nine through 30, but let me just give you a little bit of background. Paul was in prison in Rome. Right? But prison isn't like our prison. If you remember when we went through the book of Philippians, we talked about this. There, he wouldn't eat, he wouldn't have clothes unless friends, family brought him food and clothing in prison. That wasn't provided. You didn't get three hots and a cot. You didn't get anything. You were in prison. So there was this church in Philippi who loved Paul, and, and, and they collected. They wrote notes of encouragement. They, they collected finances to be able to give to Paul to support him. The problem was it was 800 miles away. In that time, there's no FedEx. There's no UPS. You can't just put it in the post and send it. It was a, a nearly two-month journey from Philippi to Rome And so the church collected all this, and here there was this man, his name was Epaphroditus, and he was like, I will take this gift from the church, and I will deliver it to Paul. And so he did. But in that journey, he got incredibly sick. He almost died. But God saved him. And he was able to deliver that gift from the church. And now the Apostle Paul is writing a letter that then Epaphroditus will take back to the church in Philippi. And listen to what he says. Therefore, welcome him. Welcome Epaphroditus back in the Lord with great joy. Hold people like him in honor. Because he came close to death. He almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life, and here it is, to make up, to complete what was lacking in your ministry to me. 
What was lacking in their ministry? Did, did, did the church not love him? Did the church not give sacrificially? Did the church not send a, a gift to the Apostle Paul? The only thing that was lacking was the bodily expression and delivery of that gift. That's what was lacking. This bodily, costly delivery of this gift of grace from the church to the Apostle Paul. So let's bring that understanding back. What was Paul completing that was lacking in the afflictions of Christ? There was nothing, and I want to be clear on this, there was nothing of any atoning, redemptive sufficiency that was missing in the afflictions of Christ. His death is completely, fully sufficient to pay the penalty in full for our sin. There is nothing lacking. The fullness of God dwelt in Christ. It was by Jesus, through Jesus, for Jesus. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. We're going to see Paul continue to mention this. Nothing of any saving value is missing from the afflictions of Christ. So what was missing? It's the personal, bodily, costly expression of Jesus's love for the church. See, after Jesus physically rose from the dead, Jesus physically ascended into heaven. And what did he tell his disciples to do? He says, go. And as you go, wherever you go, as you go to work, as you go home, as you go to to the gym, to your hobby, wherever you go, make disciples of all peoples, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that I have commanded. And I promise I will be with you always. And then he told them, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Spirit. Because then you will have power to be obedient to what God has called you to. He said, I will be with you. In Romans, it says, how will they hear unless someone goes and preaches? How will they believe unless they hear? How will they hear unless someone goes? Blessed are the feet of those who bring the good news of Jesus Christ. It is the expression of God's grace that he is calling us into. His sacrifice is sufficient. And now, like Epaphroditus, we are the ones who carry out and personally deliver the truth, the substance of our salvation in Christ. That's what was lacking. This is so much more of what I want us to see is when you serve, what service is, is so much more than just see a need, fill a need. Like to all those who are serving in different ways, whether you move benches, whether you're setting up classrooms, whether you're holding a door when people enter, what you're doing is not just, well, there was a need, so I'm filling it. What I want you to see is when we serve together in the church, what we are doing is like Epaphroditus. When you wake up early and you don't want to, when you come in and you're pushing benches when you don't want to, when you're scraping off gum off the back of these benches or cleaning off obscene drawings that the middle schoolers have drawn, 
Like, it's terrible things, right? You woke up early for this. You are carrying out. You are helping people sit and being able to focus and worship in God's Word. That is what ministry is. It is more than what we do. It is more than than what we can... Have you ever seen those things like say your job in one word, like the worst possible description of your job? Sometimes we can do that with serving in a church. Like, I just hold a door. I just make coffee. I just push benches around. What I pray you're encouraged by this morning is it's more than that. You are expressing God's grace. You are demonstrating that. But I also want us to see who we are serving. Who is it that Paul is serving? So look with me at verses, the end of 24 into 25. When it says, I rejoice in my sufferings for you. I am completing in my flesh what was lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. This is the expression, the delivery Afflictions for his body, that is the church. I have become its servant. Think about that. Who is the Apostle Paul serving? The body of Christ. The church. He's like, I've become its servant. What's that it? It's referring back to the church. The body of Christ. What does it mean to call the church the body of Christ? I want us to have in mind when when you hold the door for someone, when you serve them a cup of coffee, when you hold a child, who is it that you're serving? Because see, when Jesus entered the world, he took on a physical body. It was through his physical body that he paid the penalty for our sin. His physical body, when it breathed its last breath, was placed in the tomb. It was his physical body that rose from the dead. It was his physical body that ascended into heaven. And now it is the demonstration of his body through the church that demonstrates the love of God clearly and personally, and boldly to the world. The church is the body of Christ being lived out to proclaim the good news. That is what the church is. That is who we serve. When the Apostle Paul said, look, I'm its servant. I am the servant of the church. When you serve, you are not just serving an individual. You are serving the body of Christ. And this is a reminder for me that this week the, the elders went away and, and had a retreat and we were praying through and talking through what it means to be biblically faithful to the call to shepherd. And you'll be hearing about this more in the future. But one of the verses that, that really guided our time together was from Acts 20 verse 28. And it says this, be on guard for yourselves. This is speaking to elders. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd 
shepherd the church of God. And then here's the phrase that's been weighing heavy on my heart. Shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Do you feel that? Like this shepherding. This church of God, which he has purchased for his own blood. Like, like look around for a moment. Look around at one another, to the other sitting here in this room. Like, seriously, look around. Look at the faces. The people you know, the, the people you don't know. That collectively, you are more than the gifts, skills, and provisions you bring to this church. You are more than, 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 than the problems. That you're just like, oh, it's a burden. I don't want to share that. You're more than that. You are more than just a name. You are more than a, a face and a number in a crowd. Jesus purchased. If you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus... I want you to know and feel of yourself and of others that Jesus valued them, purchased them with his own blood. The body of Christ, Jesus was despised and rejected, it says in Isaiah, that he knew suffering and he knew sickness because he took our sickness. He took our pain so that he could give us peace. His body was pierced with nails in his hands and his feet because of our rebellion. And he voluntarily was crushed on the cross as his body bled so that we might be forgiven. Because of our sin, he was punished that we might have peace. By his bloody wounds, we are healed. Jesus chose to willingly suffer and die to save you. But here's the thing, not just that. It's not just that he saved you so, so we wouldn't go to hell. It's so much more. He saved you, not just to save you from, from sin and death and hell. He saved you to call you son to call you daughter, to adopt you into his family, to cover you in his righteousness, to give you the fullness of the inheritance of heaven for all eternity. He valued you enough to shed his blood. And here's the thing, when you serve, when you serve others, that's who you're serving. It's not just a name. It's not just an individual. You're serving those whom God valued enough to shed his blood. That's who you're serving, the body of Christ. That's why it matters. That's what I want us to feel and, and to be encouraged by, that, that it, it matters. So how and why do we serve others? Spirit-empowered labor of love. That's how. How we're called to serve. That look, ministry can be difficult. Let's, let's be real with that. Look at what it says. In verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings. I'm its servant. Verse 29, I labor. 
for this. Verse 1 of chapter 2, I want you to know how greatly I'm suffering for you. How great I'm struggling for you. Like, Paul isn't mincing it here. It's difficult. People who, who Paul has never met personally, he's suffering and struggling to serve. It's beyond his own strength. So how does Paul and how should we seek to serve others in this manner? How do we serve when it just seems too much? I want us to see when it says Jesus' strength. I labor, in verse 29, I labor for this, striving with his strength. I pray that this, this passage corrects kind of something in our thinking. Sometimes we think, well, if I'm serving Jesus, it should be easy, right? Like when we first meet resistance, we can begin to say, well, if, if this is actually what Jesus wanted, I wouldn't be struggling. This wouldn't be hard. I wouldn't have to strive. It wouldn't be so laborious because I'm serving Jesus. Shouldn't it be easy? And I pray this corrects in our thinking. That's not true. I pray you hear up front, when we serve, it will be hard. Like that's what the Apostle Paul says. He's not saying it's going to be easy. He's not saying, hey, as soon as you get a little pushback, just, just run away and find something else. It's, it's too much. But we are called then, how we serve is to serve in His strength. I labor for this, striving in His strength. That you need the strength of Jesus to do the work of Jesus. This isn't just you doing something on your own to buy groceries for the household. You are doing a spiritual work for the kingdom of God. And this is beyond your own strength. This is beyond your own capability. We need the strength of Jesus to do the work of Jesus in and through the church. That's the reality. And I want us to see, look, look at what it says. I always love the the little words. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works a little bit in me. That is a nice little additive to my own energy. That's not what it says. It says it powerfully works in me. There is power here. This isn't like, you know, I'm kind of tired today. I just need a little like extra caffeine this morning to get me through, Jesus. Just get me a little bit of that bump to get, to get over the hump so I can serve today. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying it's his power powerfully at work within us to do the work that he's called us to do. And that's where I want to lean. That's where I need my heart to be. Now, here's the thing. It's a little side note. I have begun over the years to be able to discern in myself when I'm working in my own strength and when I feel like I'm being faithful to work in his strength through me. I want to share some of the things I've identified in my own life in the hope that it helps you identify what's the difference. How do I know if I'm working in his strength or my strength? What does that even mean? Like, how do I go about that? So when I'm working in my own strength, these are some of the things that I've begun to identify that leads me towards correction. It really feels like striving. 
Like I know it says striving in his strength, but there's a difference between striving in his strength and striving in my strength. And striving in my strength leaves me very tired and often agitated. I get angry when I'm striving in my own strength. I I get annoyed, short-tempered. Like it's an anxious toil where I always feel like I'm trying to keep up, like everything's just one step ahead of me and I'm running to catch up and it's like pushing a boulder uphill and if I trip, it's all going to fall and like crash on me. That's what it feels like in my own strength. That it always feels like it's never enough. Like it doesn't matter how much I do, it's just like it's not enough. It's not, you need to do more. You need to do more. You're not good enough. You need to try harder. You need to do more. And it's, it, it will just echo in my brain and heart. That I stop, and this is humbling to say because it's true. I stop spending time with Jesus because I have too much work to do for Jesus. I've made that decision. I've had a to-do list on my desk of all the things that need to be done. I sat there wanting to spend time in the presence of God. But Lord, you understand. Bless my day because I have a whole lot to get done for you. That's what it looks like in my own strength. That I'm short with people because I have problems to deal with. And that sometimes I've treated you all and others as if it's a hindrance to ministry and not ministry itself. And so I'm short and I'm moving through things as fast as I can to just get a lot done. To ease that sense of striving in myself. What does it look like when I'm working in God's strength? Because that's what it looks like. And I've been there. (laughs) Like I'm telling you, like I've been there. What does it look like in you? How do you identify if you're just serving in your own strength or striving in his strength? When I'm working in God's strength, this phrase that comes about over and over again that started in the sabbatical is I have an unhurried presence wherever I am. That's what I'm praying for. That it's an unhurried, unanxious presence. I can just be. It means when it's morning and I'm spending time with God, it's an unhurried presence with God. And the things of the day can wait because this is more important. And it means when I'm meeting with someone, it's not on to the next thing. It means I'm here, I'm present, not just in body, but in mind and heart, I'm present. Not just thinking about what to say next, not just thinking what I have to do next. That people, you are the ministry. Like my job as a shepherd is not just to run the institution, organization of a church. My job is to shepherd and be present with you. Like I know at times I've heard like, oh, you're busy. I don't want to bother you. Bother me. Please. Like that's what I want you to hear. Your, your problems, your difficulty are not a burden. They are the reason why God has called me here. To walk with you and be present with you. And that's why he has called the elders up. To be present. 
because I recognize that there are needs bigger than me. I can't fix all the needs. I can't fix everything, and, and my striving won't do it. And, and part of working in his strength is realizing the best thing I can do is to be present with you in the pain and to pray before God and to realize that's all I can do. I can't fix it. I can't make things change. I can't make everything right. I'm not your savior. And I can go to bed really, really tired, but satisfied. Do you see the difference? That's what it looks like in my life. That's how when I pray this verse, I know like, Am I working in my own strength or am I working in his strength? Because I want his strength to be powerfully at work in me. That's how we go about the ministry. When you feel you've come to the end of yourself, you're just beginning the journey of where God wants to bring you. Because he will lovingly and mercifully bring you to the end of yourself so that all you can do is beg for his help and power to work through you. And then it begins. That is the nature of ministry. And then why? Why? Why do we serve others in this manner? Why do we serve others it is as a labor of love. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. I want their hearts to be encouraged. I want their hearts to be joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery. What is that mystery? It is Christ. I want... Here's my prayer for you. I want you to be encouraged this morning. I want our hearts to be joined together in love of what it means to place Jesus above serving one another because we see and we know that what we are doing is not just a reduction to the most simplest form of what we do, but we are ultimately expressing God's grace to one another. That we realize that who we are serving, it is ultimately the body of Christ, which is why he is over ministry. We realize the way in which we do ministry is not by our own strength, but ultimately it is by Jesus, by his strength, his power at work through us powerfully. That is why he is over ministry, because we look to him in all things. He is the goal of it. He is the means of it, and it is to him. It's exactly what we looked at last week. Applied then to how we serve one another. And look at what is being communicated. So that you may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. This is the same thing that in those verses where you're like, hey, you kind of skipped those few verses up at the end of chapter 1 in verse 27. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery. See, there was a mystery that, of God that was not known for generations and generations and generations. And then this mystery of God was made known. And this mystery was Christ in you. See, when Christ ascended into heaven in physical form, 
That meant God was not, Jesus was not just in a particular place, a particular location at a particular time. But then he said, I'm going to give you the spirit of God so that every believer in every nation among every people would be filled with the presence of God. That Christ was the mystery that was hidden for ages. This is the mystery we now proclaim when we demonstrate the gospel to one another. He is the hope of glory. We proclaim Him. We proclaim Christ. We warn and teach one another to have all wisdom so that we can present everyone as mature in Christ. This is why we serve. This is what we want people to experience and to know the end goal of everything we do, whether it's setting out benches or classrooms or cables, is to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And we serve in different ways to make that a reality. We are serving the body of Christ together. So I want to end in these two application points. First, to those of you serving, which is so many of you, I want you to hear me when I say thank you. Like, I mean that. I pray, my prayer in this passage is that you would leave encouraged, knowing that, knowing more now that what you do is so much bigger than just that individual part. That you would be encouraged that you are demonstrating personally God's grace. That you are serving His body in the way you serve. That, that, that I would encourage you to make sure you're serving in His strength and not your own. You will become exhausted and frustrated with those you serve if you do it in your own strength. Guard your heart. Examine what it means to serve in His strength. But be encouraged. You're doing more than you realize. To those who aren't serving, I pray that this is an encouragement. This is not like a guilt, like, why aren't you doing this? I pray that this is an encouragement inviting you in. Look at what it says. I now rejoice in my sufferings. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's not going to be labor. You're not going to have to wake up early. You're going to have to do things you didn't think you were going to do. It's going to have its difficulties. But what I want you to see is that there's rejoicing that Paul has. There is joy that God has for you through serving Joy that, that you are not presently experiencing because you're choosing your own comfort rather than the sacrifice of serving. And so what does that look like? I pray that today's message is an encouragement inviting you to experience joy. It's a message inviting you to experience purpose. To be part of something that is bigger than just you. It's bigger than just the small part that you feel like you're contributing. But it is part of something that God is doing in and through Crosspoint that you get to be part of in saying like the Apostle Paul, I'm a servant of Christ's body in a small way. And I'm praying that God uses it for His glory. 
That's my hope. That's my prayer. Like you'll see on here that on this one, like there's a QR code. Like if you're not serving, I would encourage you to, to take a picture of this. It's the same QR code that you'll find on the connect card at the table. So if you prefer to grab that, that's fine. I realize most of you here are serving and I want you to hear. Thank you. If you're not, I pray you hear this as an invitation and that this passage helps us see the glory of Christ as the goal, the means, the source of why we serve. Let's pray.